Welcome to episode 236. Today is July 5th, 2021. It is six o'clock in the morning here on the West Coast. Today I'm with Roseanne Capana Hodge. She is an integrative and children's mental health expert. And she's in suburban New York City, but actually in the state of Connecticut. A lot of people don't know this, but New York City is so huge that the suburbs actually spill into different states like New Jersey and Connecticut. That's where Roseanne is. Uh, she is a mental health trailblazer, and she is the founder of the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health. She's also a media expert, so you'll see her on television and appearing in publications like Forbes magazine, and she is widely considered a thought leader in children's mental health. She has helped thousands reverse the most challenging conditions that young people face today, such as ADHD, anxiety, mood disorder, uh, with proven holistic therapies. So we're going to talk about exactly what parents need to do to make foundational changes in their children that bring lasting gains. A lot of this has to do with nutrition, which surprised me, but it is a holistic approach to the children's mental health that, uh, Dr. Roseanne works with. So let's welcome Dr. Roseanne Kapanahaj to the show right after this. Welcome to the Newtown Big Dreams Podcast, an interview style talk show that's your gateway to the fabulous and fascinating people who relocated to start a new life. Whether you're new to our podcast or your city, our fellow neighbors from across Canada, North America, and the entire English-speaking world share their stories of reaching new horizons and big dreams. So sit back and relax as we navigate in-depth and intimate conversations with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, executives, creatives, and anyone who can share their story about their new town, Big Dreams. And now, here's your host, Luke J. Menkes. So, Roseanne, uh, it's great to see you this morning. So, you're um, in Connecticut, just outside of New York City. Is that I right? I am. That is correct. I'm in an area that's really almost considered a suburb of New York City because so many people live here to avoid New York taxes, and they drive or take the train into the city and work there. Mm. How long have you been there? Well, I actually grew up here in the town that I live in and moved away for many years. And then, of course, when I decided to, you know, I'm first generation American. My parents are from Italy. And when I decided, OK, I'm going to have kids, I decided I wanted to live near my parents who I knew would help me, uh, you know, take care of my kids. Right. So that yeah. area must have changed uh, quite a bit. Since you were a kid. Quite a bit. Is it really yeah. grown? It's really yeah. grown. So it's really sort of like a bedroom, suburban kind of community. And, you know, many of the areas, even where my home is now, was an area that we used to camp in. <laughs> you know, there was a lot of just land here. And now just, you know, like everywhere else, as people migrate to the suburbs, especially during the pandemic, they're snatching up, you know, every little bit of land and building homes in. 
Oh, yeah. So um, speaking of the pandemic, is it completely over or what's the situation now? Well, I mean, you know, they're talking about the Delta variant. Is the pandemic over? No. You know, Mm. what do we know about viruses? Are viruses uh, typically, you know, when we had the Spanish flu in the early part of the 20th century, you know, it lasted more than three years. And um, yes, people can say that, you know, we have better treatments, but, you know, viruses are viruses. So, you know, we've evolved. So our state has um, more than 50% of all ages are vaccinated, but we're almost 75% all all 12 and over. Mm. So, you know, People are getting a little more comfortable. The restrictions are easing, but they're not gone completely where we live. Interesting. Yeah, it's a little bit different. Um, I talk to people all over the world, and it's a little yeah. bit different in every place. So it's always yeah. interesting to hear, you know, what you're going through there. Well, in the early part of the pandemic, Luke, we were hit really, really hard. I mm-hmm. mean, um, even at my Ridgefield, Connecticut, you know, mental health clinic, out of you know, 16 staff, three people lost their parents. I mean, there was a lot of deaths from COVID in the region where we were. So in the what they call outside of New York City, they call it the tri-state area. So New York, mm-hmm. Connecticut and New Jersey. We had very, very heavy, heavy restrictions um, because of the death rate. So um, <clears throat> the, the COVID went down. Right. But people are back to work in school. Not everybody wants to go back to work. Right. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but people are sort of returning to life again and people are traveling. And, you know, where I live, Luke, there is, I literally get um, letters from people to buy my house. I mean, houses uh-huh. are flying like hotcakes because they all, you know, in, in the pandemic, people realize, wait a second. I have to stay in my house all day. Yeah. Um, so they really wanted to go to the burbs. So, um, and it's such a quite a significant tax difference between Connecticut and New York. Really? That people, yeah, dramatic, dramatic. Like um, I had a friend, her house is half the size of mine in, in Westchester County, um, which is really the suburbs of New York. Um Cause it's only, you know, you could be 25 minutes out from mm-hmm. the city and you're, you know, it's pretty desirable and you train, hop on a train. She paid the same taxes as my house, wow. half the size. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. So people will, you know, and, and, you know, so anyway, people want to have land. They yeah. want to be in places. They want to have a backyard. So there's dramatic, dramatic bidding wars on houses here. Amazing. People are paying cash. They're giving uh, no inspections. Um, I told my husband we should sell our house and go in RV, but he passed (laughs) on that. He said, that's not really going to work with a teenager. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe in a few years. (laughs) So um, we're going to talk all about the effect of the pandemic on children. I know you do a lot of work with children. Um, You've got a great book called It's Going to Be Okay. Tell us why this is a great resource for parents like me. Yeah. This is absolutely 100% a resource that every single parent should have at their bedside. Um, I, you know, for 30 years have been supporting children and their families with mental health. And our kids' mental health 
prior to the pandemic was an absolute crisis, which is why I started the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health, January of 2020. And, you know, and, and what does that mean? It means that we have such a rise in clinical issues, anxiety, depression, OCD, uh, suicide rates from 10 to 17 year olds doubled in the 10 year from the 10 years previous, 56% an increase in suicides from kids 10 to 17 years old. And I mean, that's just not okay. And parents don't know what to do. So I really am known as this solution finder for whatever a problem is, if it's little or big, and I work with a lot of very complex issues, I literally have helped thousands of kids and families reduce and reverse mental health issues. And in my book, it's going to be okay. And I named it, it's going to be okay, because it's the first thing I tell any parents when I work with them. And I, and I work with people in person in my center or virtually, and we need to hear it's going to be okay. But I lay out exactly how to change mental health, and it's all science-backed and evidence-based. There's over you know 40 pages of uh, single-space citations. And so parents can feel good because the internet is awesome. And I'm a big fan of Dr. Google, but it's a vast hole (laughs) and we don't know who to trust and what to do. And I really have sort of become this trusted leader and I want parents to just have this information. And, you know, I talk a lot about the eight pillars of mental health because there are many things that we can do for our kids that are safe, natural, and effective. And the message is just not, parents are not getting this information. And they're often so shocked, like, what do you mean I could, um, you know, of magnesium does this in the, in, it could help my kid sleep and it can help my kid uh, brain work faster and help their attention. What do you mean? Why didn't my pediatrician tell me that? And so it's, it's a lot to do with that you know, we don't have enough trained people who know this information. Pediatricians are not trained. They don't even have, all physicians don't even have one course in nutrition, which is shocking to people. So they don't help. Mm -hmm. So nutrition is just one of the pillars. There's a lot of things we can do and parents want the information. And and I literally have laid it out for them and really easy to use digestible, um, you know, form, because that's the other thing. We're very overwhelmed. I mean, more parents in this pandemic are overwhelmed than I've ever seen. Like, it's kind of shocking how overwhelmed people are. Understandable, but some people are pretty stuck. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So what do you think will be the long-term impact of the pandemic on children? You know, Luke, we're already seeing research that is showing us that there is an impact on kids. And there's research from um, Asia and Europe and the states and it's survey research. Here's what we know about kids' mental health. When we look at, you know, times when kids have been traumatized, times when kids have really experienced a lot. And, you know, I worked a lot with the survivors of Sandy Hook and also 9-11. And, you know, when people face trauma and difficult things, there are protective factors and there are risk factors. So if we want to back up and look at how our kids going to make it through right now, we need to look at what we can do to what are protective factors. So protective factor, factors are like good social, emotional communication with their caregivers, um, great resources, um, not having a prior issue before, but some of my kids who've had a prior issue 
before doing amazing because they gained coping skills before and they know how to get through stressful times. But parent mental health is a big is is the single fat biggest determination of a person's mental of a child's mental health, um, particularly maternal mental health, since mater, you know women are mostly doing caregiving. And there's a lot of reasons why it's not just what a parent says to a kid, it's how they interact. Um, right. You know, we know parents today are very distracted um, mm -hmm. and they're not connecting enough. They're not giving kids the body language, those nonverbal cues to help kids be connected. And we are what we saw in the pandemic is we need connection. Yeah. And so that is a huge factor to help kids. Like instead of saying, oh, my God, I'm on my device too much. I'm an awful parent. It, instead, say, OK, well, what can I do about that? Right. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I just wrote a blog about distracted parenting because there's some that we it's based on research um, called the still face research that when you interact with an infant and your face is flat, it causes distress for an infant and then they disconnect. They actually become not as connected and, and it can really negatively impact. So what's the impact? The question is, what's the impact? Some kids are doing great, some kids are okay, and some kids there are there is a definite increase in, dramatic increase in anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. Um, and you know we also know that for people that had, research tells us that for teens and young adults, if they had a family member in their home with COVID, they have a 50% chance to have moderate to severe depression. Wow. The, the, so you already know if you had COVID in your house for whatever reason, whether it's the stress, the rejection, the fear, um, <clears throat> your child is going to have a 50% chance of being depressed. So be proactive. Yeah. Look for the signs. Mm -hmm. So what is the difference between stress and anxiety? Because I know we often interchange those two words. A lot of people think it's the same thing, but there is a mm -hmm. difference between those two things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, stress, Luke, is a, is a response to an everyday thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, <clears throat> somebody cut you off in traffic. You bid on a house, you didn't get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, right? And so our nervous system is designed to manage stress. It's called an autonomic nervous system. So our autonomic nervous system says, okay, um, you are you you had the stressor, it goes up into what's called the sympathetic dominant state. And then if your nervous system is healthy, it goes back into this chilled out, relaxed, parasympathetic state. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot we can do to keep our nervous system nice and lubricated and, and get it down into the stress state. But eventually, let's say you have an awful boss or you have a really difficult kid. Let's be honest. There are kids that are really hard to parent. Yeah. And, you know, especially if they have clinical issues, right, like autism or ADD, you know, it's it's hard. Or, and you and your spouse have a lot of friction on how to parent. It's one of the biggest sources of couples issues. Mm -hmm. And your nervous system starts getting very stress activated, stress activated, stress activated. And what does that mean? It means that everything irritates you. Everything causes you to feel anxious. And I think everybody can relate to this. We've all had a period of this. Some of us are just kind of coming out of this in the pandemic. And we note the research that 
um, you know, 70% of parents in the U.S. felt that they had a, a huge impact on pandemic parenting and it was very stressful for them. Mm-hmm. No surprise, right? So when you are constantly stress activated, constantly stress activated, the nervous system doesn't have, there's a maximum capacity, right? And there's only three responses it can have when you're constantly chronically stressed. It's fight, flight, or freeze. And at a certain point, it can flip to anxiety, right? People always think anxiety is only from um, a stre- one stressful situation, which, which it can happen, or it's genetics, right? And pharma wants us to think everything's yeah. genetics in that genetics define you. That is completely not true. I talk all about how to reduce and reverse these issues and symptoms in my book, it's going to be okay. And people are just so blown away with how much you can control. But what really is clinical anxiety? It's when it interferes with something in your life, whether it's a relationship, your work, your school, and there's an impact, you know, it's, you know, you are, you know, you're a kid and you're so stressed, you can't get up in the morning. You're a kid, you're so stressed, you can't think straight, you're not paying attention. Um, you're um, really anxious at work and you have heart palpitations, right? So anxiety and stress show up often typically more on the physical side, your sleep, your uh, feeling having headaches, heart, chest pain. Um, and kids can experience the same things that adults do. Um, and sometimes even more so. Adults will try to ignore things, you know, where kids will be like, mommy, I got a belly right. ache, you know? Um, and gastrointestinal is one of the biggest signs that you've got a stress mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. Is it easy to um, observe signs of anxiety in children? And does it depend on the age? No, I think it's really easy to see signs. Like, you know, Luke, you think about when your kids are little yeah. and they have tantrums, <laughs> right? You're like, oh, that kid's mad at something. Right. You yeah, know? Yeah. You can tell. <laughs> You know, you can tell. And we, I think that um, sometimes, even though they're right, it's right in front of you, we misinterpret it, right? So like many people will come to me and say, you know, I took my kid, he's got, um, he's got constipation, he's got a belly ache all the time. Some kids throw up every day. It's really common for kids to throw up, teenagers, all ages. And then they make a pattern identification, like it occurs Sunday to Thursday. So right away, they're like, hmm, something's going on. So they go and get medically checked out by every gastroenterologist known under the sun. And somewhere along the way, somebody will say to them, have you thought it's stress? Have you thought it's anxiety? And these are typically high-performing adults, high-performing kids. What does that mean? Great grades. Um, We use grades often in every country as the benchmark for mental health. And that's just so silly because you can be anxious or depressed or have OCD or even suicidal and be an amazing employee um, um, and an amazing student, right? Because you can channel all your energy into that. Um, But the signs are there. And they, again, they tend to be sleep. They tend to be, um, for, for a kid, teenager, right? They're even grumpier than you would expect, right? They stay away from you even more than you would expect. And I think it becomes really observable if you've already had other kids when you're like, wow, this kid is so out of the norm. I think it's harder when it's your mm-hmm. first kid. But what we, we don't 
teach parents enough to tune into their their gut, their parent gut, their mama or their papa gut. And what I always say, because people come to me guilt-ridden, Luke, and they connect the dots looking back, right? Well, we can only connect the dots looking back, right? It becomes very apparent. And almost every parent of a kid who's that classic doing really well, that kid will crash and burn in high school or college. It just always happens. You typically don't make it through because you just can't live in a chronic stress state. And they will say, oh my gosh, this was a kid that needed a lot of reassurance. This was a kid that was afraid to take risks. This is a kid that had constant, you know, belly aches, whatever is going on. It just all of a sudden clicks in their head. They think my kid is bright. My teenager is bright. They're going to say to me, I'm feeling very anxious. I'd like to see a therapist. Nobody does that. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you know, not unless they've had a prior experience or you have those kind of conversations at home. You know, it's so important to have like really great conversations about your own stress, your own mental health, your solutions that you're using, your errors that you make and almost make it like our world. We call it metacognitive. Like you just talk about it out loud with your kids so that when they really face a big obstacle, they're going to feel so good about talking to you. It's going to be like, mom, I'm having a hard time with X. And then, you know, you really can be there as a resource. You know, you're teaching them that mental health is important. You're teaching them there are solutions that are healthy. Um, and you're te- teaching them that it's no big deal to talk yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so important. And it takes practice. This isn't a, a, a one-off. This isn't a jump in and, oh, let's have this one conversation. Right. No, you, you constantly have to talk all the time, right? And it will, I promise you will make, when you do this, first of all, it's never too late. I don't care if your kid's mm-hmm. 23, it's never too late. Um, we don't do enough talk about connecting to our body sensations, our thoughts and our feelings, right? Um, and, but if we do it when our kids are younger, I promise you it makes it real easy when they're mm, teenagers. That's good, good to know. So I, um, I want to yes. shift gears a little bit and uh, talk about how we as adults can increase focus, engagement, motivation while we're um, So I'm always learning stuff, but I also do a lot yeah. of my work now, even though I'm a real estate agent, I do a lot of work virtually. I do a lot of work from home. Yeah. And I think of the uh, symptoms you said of fight, flight or freeze, I tend to freeze. Like when I'm anxious, yeah. I procrastinate, I get into thought loops. How do I get um, more focused and engaged and motivated when I'm working from home? Yeah. And first of all, Luke, thanks for sharing that you get into thought loops, because I want to say that that's probably the Mm -hmm. number one thing that I see with adults Mm. Um, and kids do it, too. But adults, you know, I talk about they get on the worry train to nowhere. Yeah. And it's really easy to just get on and be in your own head. Right. So. Let's talk about Zoom, Zoomitis or whatever we want to call it. Like it's, it's a lot, right? So first of all, this is a new reality. This isn't going away. This is not a temporary thing. People have gotten really acclimated. So there's many things we can do to support our attention, our motivation, and our mental health in general. So first of all, before I talk about structure and routine and some things that we can do, I also want to just give people the boundary privilege Mm. of saying, if it doesn't have to be a Zoom, don't make it a Zoom. 
all of a sudden everybody wants to make what could have been a two minute phone call a zoom meeting and i'm literally saying no i'm doing a regular phone call literally i write regular phone call why do i do that well i have an exercise bike desk um and i also can be moving i can be standing i don't have to be in front of a screen and be on a phone call so i think it's really important Mm -hmm. to protect that and and not guess it because one it also preserves your time but these lights yeah, are right. a lot right, right. <laughs> so so structure and routine i talked all about it all over tv all these reporters wanted to talk to me about what what the heck they do well we need structure and routine and so we are really struggling with long time sitting now and structure and routine should incorporate your physical activity and exercise. And we have to be careful to prevent what we call tech neck, you know, that that hunching over our devices and doing all of that because that actually prevents blood flow mm. to the frontal lobes. So how do we how do we counter the lights, the blue screen, the sitting, um, the tech neck, right? Because we want to protect our brain, we want our neurotransmitters to work. Um, we need to get up and move (laughs) and really every hour on the hour, you should do some very, very, very simple exercises. So you're going to have to put those buffers in. Um, I think that's really important. I also think you still need to have, like, you need to do your exercise in the morning and maybe in the middle of your day, you really need to get away from your device, whether that's sitting down and having a proper meal and conversation, or maybe that is incorporating a walk. I don't know, care what it is, but you've got to get away from your dice, devices because I find even myself, I'm battling, oh, I just squeeze in yeah. one more thing on my computer and we're sitting and it's, it's hard on our bodies. So great exercises are things where um, you are, you know, uh, literally doing the opposite of what you're doing. So instead of being hunched over, you know, put your arms and your head back at a 90 degree and do that, right? Exactly. And do that for a good 10 seconds, right? So also, you know, standing up and doing uh, exercises where your arms are straight up and you're, you're getting, moving your body out of your hips, right? Without overstretching and then doing what's a crescent. So you move to the left, you move to the right. Um, you can do things like a downward dog to get yourself engaged. I mean, people sometimes are cranking mm. in planks and just getting their body moving. But you really want to focus on those, you know, few minute breaks, you know, one minute, two minute exercises on the hour is really protecting mm. your neck, your shoulders. And then I like to do eye breaks. Nobody talks about eye breaks, but an eye break is closing your eyes for a good five seconds, opening your eyes, and then giving your eyes another five seconds to readjust. In the perfect world, you're doing this every, you know, 15 to 20 minutes. It may not be possible in a Zoom meeting, um, but every time you can do it, squeak it in. It's going to protect the muscles in your eyes. It's going to help with eye strain. And these little things, you know, they're going to help get oxygen to the brain. They're going to help blood flow. They're going to help lymphatic drainage. But I think, you know, we have to, this is a mm-hmm. lot of demand on us. 
Um, and you have to counter it. You know, there's no way anybody is immune to this. And I do love my exercise desk, you know, wasn't expensive. They do have, you know, exercise bikes. They have standing desks, you know, move around, try things and, and make sure you also have a proper seat with good, you know, lumbar support too. But we need to move our tuchuses, Luke. Right. Totally makes sense. Yeah. And how do you stop looping thoughts? That was the yeah, other question. Right. So that's the evolutionary process mm. and you need to be kind to yourself. Um, I like to do a lot of breath work and when negative thoughts come in, you can do things like simple things like, um, you know, count backwards from 10. You could then say, you know, every time I have a negative thought about this, I'm going to picture my favorite place, which for most people is a beach. Mm-hmm. You can counter it really conscientiously. Um, you also can say to yourself inside and out, I'm not going there. I'm going to see this. But you have to do a lot of practicing a positive speak and visualization. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's super, super important. And I, I talk about a reps protocol. It's really easy. It's respirate and vision, pos- positivity and stress management. You got to breathe. You got to envision success and what you want. You got to say successful things and then stress management. You got to practice stress management every day. We take it for granted that we're immune to the stress, you know, effects of stress. Mm. But not only is there high stress periods now, people around us are so stressed. I've never seen more people, um, at least here in the States, Luke. Um, I've never seen more people um, really just lash out mm-hmm. and be incredibly rude and difficult. Yeah. Um, I've never seen it. And I know it's because of stress, but then we get stressed by other people's stress. So we have to do even more of a better job to protect ourselves from sort of the crisis that is going on in the world for people right now. Yeah, Totally. I We're pretty lucky. We live in a city of about 150,000 people and it's fairly spread out. Uh, yeah. We live four hours from Vancouver, which is Canada's second largest city. And it's quite a big city. And uh, my wife and I went there for um, kind of like a staycation a couple of times. And it's really crowded. And I think the, uh, the distancing thing with having millions of people in one spot, that probably adds a lot to the stress. Like here, I can walk outside and not see anybody for five minutes, right? But in the city, in the big city, it's impossible. You're going to run into people yeah. and you're, you're worried everybody's infected or, you know, what's happening. Yeah. So, yeah, I could totally see for that. Sure. Totally. So we've got um, four girls here and one of them is going off to college. The oldest, she's 18. Uh, how do we promote good coping skills and resilience in the children? You touched on it, but. Tell yeah. us a bit more. Yeah, I think I think it's one of the most important things, the g- biggest gifts we can give our kids. You know, everyone always says, you know, what do you want for your kids? You always say you want them to be happy and healthy. And there's no magic wand. Like we equate good grades with our kids being, as I said earlier, to, to mental health. But internal resilience develops over time. And it starts with having a coping skill toolkit. And, you know, we have moved as we're moving towards over parenting in the world where we do too much for our kids. We don't give them independence and we don't let them fail. And so we would, regardless of where your kid is at, what, what age they're at, you have to have them give them opportunities to 
fail and problem solve. And you can help them problem solve. So, you know, what's a great example? Your daughter not getting into her number one school. Okay, that's a big thing, right? But let's back it up, Mm -hmm. right? So maybe she was really stressed out about her applications. So, and and that stress was showing up where she was like biting your head off, right? (laughs) So, you know, you can say, okay, Emily, whatever her, you know, her name is Emily. Actually, her um, name is Emily. Uh, don't ask. I'm a little bit of a intuitive and things okay. come to me. So is that for, pretty funny? <laughs> so um, we'll keep that a secret, everybody. I'll lose my street cred. But and that's the name that came into my head. So so Emily, you know, is a little cranky and she you, you just have to be like, Emily, OK, this is hard. How are you going to you got through hard things before last time? You know, you got through the big whatever science tournament. How did you do it? <laughs> Okay, I got through it because I, you know, went to bed on time, I breathed, and I did some extra exercises. Okay, you're having a hard time right now. What can you do? Well, I guess I can do that. All right, all right, so that's great. So let's, what do you, you want to go and do something right now? Okay, great. So you're, you're helping them to think on their own, you're reinforcing, and you're helping them to get through. And our whole job as parents is to prepare them for the big things like not getting into your top school or, you know, you didn't get the job you wanted or your fiance broke up with you. Right. And so you need to have resilience and we all can think about if everybody's listening, can think about one person in their life who's really terrible with stress and then another person who's awesome. And the person who's awesome just doesn't even see stress the mm. same way. They don't, they don't look at it. And I talk a lot about resiliency mindset and, you know, it's how you view, um, manage and, and recover from stress and the best of the best who have coping skills learn over time that stressors, you always can find a solution. And that's really what we have to emphasize with our kids. Again, it's not a one-off. You have to jump. You have to do it. You have to role model. You have to talk about it. I look at every opportunity that I mess up, Luke, as an opportunity to teach mm. my kids about nice. something. And I have great conversations with about, about it. Sometimes I really make the wrong decision, and I'm like, "Ooh, that was really terrible." Like somebody did something to me on the highway or something. I don't remember what it was recently, and I used like the f mm. word in like. 20 different ways in two minutes. And, you know, my little guy, he hates swearing. And um, and I was like, that was pretty dumb of me to get mad like that. And he was like, oh, it's pretty bad. And I was like, yeah, but I should have breathed and I should have did that. And he's like, yeah, you should have. And I'm like, okay, you know. So, <laughs> you know, lets you know you can make mistakes, but you can don't have to live there either. So, so, so important. I think parents just think kids just mm. absorb but some, it doesn't happen like that for most kids. You really have to have, it's a great opportunity for conversation. And then it makes the implicit explicit and it gives them chances to understand that we are human in a place where we're trying to prize perfection and we have fake book and everybody makes, puts their best face yeah. you know, forward on Facebook, but really they're about to get divorced. Their house is almost in foreclosure and, you know, but nobody yeah. knows, right? You know what I mean? So we have to stop pretending and 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 give our kids these really this golden gift of being able to be like, okay, 
that stunk, but I can do this, this, and this, and I'm okay with it. Because really, they're going to be the happiest. We know resilience is greater resilience is tied to um, greater academic mm -hmm. success, higher incomes, because that's what everybody wants to hear. But you are tired, tied to feelings of wellness and happiness, yeah. you know? Totally. It's important. And you uh, talk quite a bit about natural therapies. So instead of just going to the doctor, getting a prescription, um, there's yeah. a lot of natural therapies that we can use and kids can use to reduce um, mental health symptoms and sometimes even reverse them. Why do you think more people aren't using natural therapies? Yeah. I mean, I dive into it in my book. It's going to be okay and walk through it. I mean, ultimately, Luke, I think it's that... Um, people just aren't aware. I mean, at the top of the, you know, when you have a struggling kid or you're struggling at the top of the pyramid is a doctor it, and mm. it's not a person. And I always say, kick your doctor off. Your doctor doesn't have, unless they've thought, sought it out like myself, I've only done integrative and holistic therapies for 30 years because 30 years mm. ago I saw that talk therapy and meds weren't working. And I just went to the microfiche in the library and did some research. I mean, it didn't take me much to figure out, wow, there's actually a whole other world out there. And then I just went into mm -hmm. it and then I treat people and <laughs> people would always get better if they, if they did, you know, comply, if they followed what I, the prescription. And so then people would fly in from all over the world and, or contact me. And, and I started to realize, holy moly, you know, why isn't this? So people just don't have the training unless they seek it themselves. And ultimately, too, when it comes to parents or it comes from themselves, you know, we have Google and there's a lot out there and there's great information out there. But people information seek without taking consistent action. I think that's mm -hmm. the other part of this. Parents, people don't know where to start. And then they don't understand, well, actually, I have to do this for this long, right? They're out there doing things on their own without right. a lot of guidance so um but people need to trust it there's so much science behind these um natural solutions and and i talk a lot about different types of psychotherapy I and mean, i use specific types of psychotherapy like i do a lot of work with ocd there's a very specific type of therapy for ocd called erp i do a ton of neurofeedback and biofeedback i do a lot of stuff with regulating the nervous system the basis of my work mm -hmm. is no learning can occur if your nervous system isn't calmed down, if it's not in that parasympathetic state. Well, that's right. from research. I mean, that's just mm -hmm. common sense. You can't think if you're stress activated. I think the thing that people don't realize is they don't understand the impact of the nervous you know, system. What happens, your brain gets hijacked. Just like you said, you get looping thoughts when you're, mm -hmm. you're not able to think clearly unless you calm your nervous system down. But the good sure. news is there's so many awesome ways to calm it down. And, right. and this is, these are applicable. My book is written for parents because when you're a parent and your kid is having a hard time, nothing else matters. Mm -hmm. But these are the same exact things that I do with the adults that call me. Right. Um, they work, you know? That's awesome. So tell us quickly about uh, neurofeedback. You mentioned that. What is that? It sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it is really cool. And um, for so neurofeedback is a way to uh, essentially rewire the brain. It's a way to get the brain um, regulated so that you can pay attention, you can think, 
you can focus, you know, you can do all those things. And I use it for clinical issues like OCD, anxiety, but I also do it for peak performance training for myself. It's how I wrote four books in four months. Um, but I do it for a lot of adults. And it, for example, all the, um, I don't do this with them, but all the astronauts are mandated to do this before they go to space. A lot of very high level musicians do it. It's really pretty cool. All the major athletes use neurofeedback, all the Olympians. So what is it? You're using technology to tell your brain that this is the healthy right combination of brain waves that your brain waves should have. And the technology reinforces your brain. There's nothing coming through the wires. And the technology has been around 50 years, tens of thousands of research studies, three over 3,000 peer reviewed. And you're using it, for example, with somebody with ADHD, they're hooked up to a computer, you go to a very highly trained practitioner like myself, that's, we do it remotely, we do neurofeedback with people all over the world, and we send them the equipment. And the equipment, the technology won't reinforce you unless you produce this healthy combination, but we reinforce the subconscious. So in two to three seconds, your brain says, oh, you want me to make my frontal lobes be more focused, I can do that. And, and it will, it will know what to do in two to three seconds. And the reinforcement is really easy. It's a movie playing. So if a movie isn't, if the movie doesn't play, the brain won't get reinforced. So, um, it's pretty cool. It's very simplistic. The brain wants reinforcement two to three seconds and you just have to train it. It's not, um, just like exercise, you have to build the muscle. So it occurs over a series of sessions. Most people are doing, let's say 40 sessions if there's a clinical issues. Um, somebody who's just doing peak performance could mm -hmm. be 20. It could be more than that. Um, it's awesome. And it's been around, like I said, 50 years used for everything from anxiety, depression, autism, concussion. I do a lot of uh, concussion work, birth trauma. Um, a lot of men have a history of concussions and then they get to their 50s and their hormones change mm -hmm. and they notice they can't pay attention anymore or they might have anxiety and depression. Um, because our hormone system needs, feeds our mm. memory and attention. So people will really start to notice it then. And then I, you know, look at their brain functioning and you can, I can say, oh, did you have a history of concussion? And they're like, yeah, I had seven, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> mostly sports. Did it really make a difference? It was 25 years ago. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. hockey, <laughs> football, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. yep. For Absolutely. sure. So you've got a, a great little website. It's going to be okay.com. Tell us what we can find yep. at your website. Yeah. So, um, so if you go to, it's going to be doc, it's going to be okay.com for people that buy my book. There's a bunch of free gifts for you if you buy the book. Um, and I have lots of resources, uh, for parents all over my website and blogs. There's lots of free downloads if you're looking for support on mental health. Um, and you can find me Dr. Roseanne everywhere. And that's D R R O S E A N N that's mm -hmm. .com. That's TikTok, YouTube, um, Instagram. Awesome. Whatnot. Dr. Roseanne, uh, yeah. thanks so much for your time this morning. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for this conversation. I know it's super early. You're an early riser. I thought I was an early, an early riser. riser. You really are an early riser. <laughs> and I love it because um, nobody's up yet. So I'm able yeah. to focus, you know. My phone's not ringing. Nobody's texting me. Nobody's emailing me. So we can have this conversation without uh, any distraction. And it's great.
That's a great hack. I do things at, at off times too. You know what I mean? We have to work what's best for us. Mm-hmm. Totally. Glad yeah. the uh, time worked for you as well. Yeah. So have a great day. You have a great day. Everybody, whatever you're struggling with, always remember it's going to be okay. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Newtown Big Dreams podcast with your host, Luke Menkes, and his authentic guests. And we love our listeners and hope you subscribe now to learn more about the amazing journeys of our incredible guests who relocated to find a new town, big dreams. And remember, make your dreams big.